0: Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Bacchus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up there. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 2. I want to speak to you tonight about fighting the good fight. Amen? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 2, it says, These are the things... That you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound of the instruction, the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ into godly teaching, says they are conceited and they understand nothing. That's That's pretty direct from Paul, right? He says they're conceited and understand nothing, and they have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of a corrupt mind who've been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. He says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Amen. He says, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. He says, those who want to get rich will fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. It says, they've wandered from the faith and they pierced themselves with many griefs. Verse 11, he says, but you, man of God, flee from all this. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. He said, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in an unapproachable light, who no one has seen or or can see. This is to him be the honor and might forever. Amen. Amen and amen. There's a lot that Paul was, was giving to young Timothy, who was a young minister of his day. There was so many things that, that Paul was telling him. But there's, there's a point of emphasis that I want to kind of hone in on tonight. I'd like to suggest, church, that in our world and in our churches today, there's a lot of fighting going on. I said, I might suggest that in our churches and in our world today, there's a lot of fighting going on. But I must clarify something, that your brother and sister in Christ is not your enemy. Let's say that one more time. Your brother and sister in Christ is not your enemy. Amen. Satan is. The devil is. The devil has not stopped being your enemy. And Paul knew when he was writing this to Timothy that there was an opposition. That was that there was a people who had existed amongst God's people that had an unhealthy interest in conflict. So Paul knew this, he, he foreknew it when he was writing this, and he knew that there were people that would cause strife, that would gossip, that would fight within the church instead of fighting against the principalities of darkness. And so the emphasis of Paul bringing all of this to light in front of Timothy was so that he would not miss the mark of his calling. How many of you know that the enemy will do anything he can to distract you from from hitting the mark? Amen. The enemy will do anything that he can to distract you from fulfilling the call and the plan of God in your life. And so this is why the enemy often baits people in the church to turn against each other or turn towards one another and holding offense while Satan doesn't know God's future. Think about this. Satan has no idea what, what God's future is for your tomorrow. He doesn't know that. He doesn't know any of those things, but he knows this much. If he can stop one child of God to become distracted with the wrong opponent, then he's won the day. The enemy knows, church, that if he can turn your heart away from God, if he can turn your your anger or your, your, you know, fighting or your warring, you know, if he can turn your attention towards somebody else and something else in some other issue instead of the real enemy himself, then guess what? He feels like he's won. Because that's one more day that you didn't fulfill and you didn't do the thing that God has commanded you to do. This looks like the, the, in, in, in the scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm not going to go there tonight, but you can just, you know, circle it, highlight it. 1 Samuel 17 talks about the story of David and Goliath. And I'm so fond of this, of this story because it just speaks so much truth. There's so many things that, that happen in that story. And there's so many truths, that I believe, that, that the Lord would show us, but... There's something that happens in particular. David, we know he is sent on assignment by his father, Jesse, and he sent from his father. And, and the Bible says that David was was in in the in the fields. You know, he was tending to his father's sheep. He was about his father's business when his father, Jesse, had given him a command to go check on his brothers who were at war. So he had several older brothers that were older than him. They were, we know this because they were at least the age of 18 and up, and they were enlisted in the Israelite army. So his father, Jesse, gives David this command. He says, David, I want you to go take these lunches and take this food and go check on the well-being of your brothers, amen? How many of you know that the Lord wants us to check on our brothers, amen? God wants you to check on your brother and sister in Christ. He wants you to have a heart for one another. He wants you to make sure that they're doing well. So David goes, and he's on this journey, and he finally gets there, and he arrives at the camp. He arrives at the battleground, and he sees one of his older brothers, Eliab. And the Bible says that Eliab began to accuse David of having a haughty spirit. Now, I'm pretty sure I'm preaching to the church tonight, and I know that maybe... Nobody's ever accused you of being prideful, right? You know, nobody's ever accused you of, you know, having wrong intentions in the church, amen? Amen. You know exactly what I mean. David gets to this battle line. He goes and Eliab says, what are you doing here? He's like, he's like what's the deal? You have, you have a haughty spirit. What is it that you're here? You want to see bloodshed? You want to see something go down? What's the deal, David? And the Bible says that David listened Or rather, he heard, but he didn't listen. He heard what his brother spoke, but David didn't take it into his heart. And the Bible says that David turned to some of the other members of the army to address the more important matter. And I want to say something to you tonight. Listen, sometimes a brother and sister in Christ, somebody within the church will say something. And all of a sudden, you think that that person has become the target. You see, David had a huge mission on his life. He was sent there unbeknownst to himself, but he was actually sent by God. He wasn't sent just by his father. And in obedience, David gets to this battle line. And all of a sudden, he's going to confront this giant, this, this, this leader of the Philistine army. And so David gets to the battle line, and it's his very own flesh and blood that would speak against his life. And David does not take this into account in the moment and turn all of a sudden and make Eliab, make his own brother, the target. But instead, he addresses the more important matter at hand. God does not want you to miss your assignment. Amen. The Lord does not want you to miss your assignment. He has a plan for your life. But listen, the enemy will use little things just like the thing that he tried to use on that day through through Eliab to say to his brother David to make him miss the mark. And all of a sudden, put his aim on the wrong giant. Put his aim on the wrong enemy. So the enemy will often bait people in the church to turn towards one another and to hold a fence. To so hold a fence towards one another because listen, Satan doesn't know your future. But if he can stop you just for a moment, think about that. So I wanna go back to those verses in verse 11, 1 Timothy 6. He says, But you, man of God, I'll interject, and you, woman of God, flee from all this, pursue righteousness. Godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness, and fight the good fight of faith. There is a, a fight that you are to engage in as a, a blood-bought believer in Christ. But it's not to be fighting within the church. It's not to be fighting on social media. It's not to be fighting over social issues. It's to fight the one that God came to destroy, and his name is Satan. He's the target. Amen. He goes on to say, take hold of eternal life to which you were called. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So his instruction is clear. Flee from all these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, you know, with endurance and gentleness. Because while many are engaged in war, they don't realize that they're fighting what they're fighting for, and they don't realize that they're fighting for the enemy instead of fighting for God. Think about that just for a second. Eliab on that day was at the battle line thinking he was representing God. He was representing God's people. But all of a sudden, the enemy got a hold of his tongue. And all of a sudden, it's just like that. He switched teams. He became a hindrance to his own brother's life who was about to slay a giant. He became a person that got in the way that the enemy actually used in that moment to, to try to navigate and steer David away from his purpose of being there in the first place. He said to fight the good fight of faith, not the fight of foolish dissent, division, or disbelief. First Corinthians chapter 9 verse 25 says this. Everyone who competes in games goes into strict Training. How many of you guys ever watch the Olympics? You know, they roll around every couple years, the Winter Olympics, the Summer Olympics. You know, these people train, I mean, literally a lifetime, but, but, you know, between Olympic games, they have four years to train. When was the last time you trained four years for something? Can I encourage you tonight? We need to start training again. You've only got a few years on this earth to train for an eternity in heaven. Amen? So we got to take this thing seriously. Amen. It says everyone who competes into the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown though that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Amen. He says so therefore I do not run like somebody running aimlessly. Somebody running aimlessly is like a, a person that has no direction. They have no aim. That's what aimlessly means. They're literally just running this way one day. They're running that way the next day. They're running up. They're running down. They have no aim. He said, and I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. You ever seen those guys when they're like, I mean, it doesn't look like it hurts anybody. (laughs) He said, I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. He said, no, I strike a blow to my body and I make it a slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul's saying, this is the most important thing that I have to do in this world. And I have to do everything within my power Everything within my power to to say yes to God and to say no to unrighteousness. To say yes to godliness and to say no to unrighteousness. I have to do everything in my power. I have to submit myself to God. An aimless runner church will never reach a destination. Amen? Amen? An aimless runner will never get to a destination. A boxer beating the air will just get worn out and fatigued over time. And Paul's point was this, was in this journey in service to God, we ourselves could in fact become disqualified by not keeping our aim on the right target. I don't want to miss the mark, church. I pray that you don't want to miss the mark. I've had the awesome privilege of, of being a hunter, and not everybody likes hunters and hunting and all that stuff, but that's besides the point. You can pray for me. <laughs> the longest shot that I've ever attempted and made was like 275 yards up a hill. It was like a kind of a weird angled shot. And the further the distance, when you're aiming, the target looks like this. <laughs> you could put the crosshairs of the, of the scope, you know, because I have a scope. That's what, we, what I use. And, 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 and you can put it on the, the target that you're aiming at. But the further the distance, the more that thing looks like it's just moving everywhere. So there's greater room for error the longer the shot. And if you're not still and you're not careful and you're not precise and you're not, you, know, you, know, you haven't practiced this or rehearsed this and you haven't you know, put in training and time into executing such a shot, you will miss. And the scripture is very clear, church, that it's telling us that, that we have to understand something here, that we need to, when the enemy wants to deceive and the enemy wants to trip with something, And the enemy wants to just plant some little seed in your life. We don't and shouldn't rather entertain the enemy at all. That when somebody whispers something, we shouldn't take that in and think about it and maybe tell somebody else and see what they think. No, we know what the word says. Do we not? Can somebody say amen tonight? I said, do we not know what the word says? It says that you need to smash that thing. You need to to throw that thing to the ground. You need to break that thing up. Because if it's not edifying, then you don't need it. Amen? If it's not going to build somebody up, then you don't need to say it. Amen? If it's not going to encourage somebody to follow Jesus, then guess what? Don't speak it. 1 Timothy 1 and 18 Paul, again, speaking to Timothy, he says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and having a good conscience which some have rejected and so suffered shipwreck with their regard to the faith. Paul was saying this. He was saying, remember what was spoken over your life, Timothy, you have a great plan, a great calling. God wants you to do something powerful and phenomenal through your life. But listen to me, Timothy, understand this. That word of prophecy is not just going to happen. You can't just live your life the way that you want to live it, Timothy. That word of promise that was given about a calling in your life, that's not just going to happen if you think that you can just handle your life the way that you want to handle it. He said that word, that promise, that plan concerning your life. Listen, remember it so that you might not be sidetracked by the devil. So that you might not be taken astray and miss the aim and miss the mark by the enemy. But instead, with, uh, fight that battle and fulfill the assignment that God has given you. 2 Timothy 4 and 7 says this. Paul speaking, he says, I have fought the good fight. He said, and I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. He said, so now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So I have to ask you these questions tonight. I want you to just think about this. Who are you fighting? Where are you running, and do you still believe Think about that tonight. Who are you fighting? Where are you running? And do you still believe? I have to remind us tonight, church, that our enemy is Satan. Our destination is heaven. And our access is only through faith in Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen tonight? And so Jesus and, 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 and Paul, they understood something that was very key. They understood that if there was division in the church, then this thing wouldn't work. If there was division amongst God's people, then guess what? We, we, would, we would scatter and we wouldn't gather. We wouldn't be a part of what God wanted to do in our life. And we could, as a result, miss the mark. We could miss it completely. John 17 this is Jesus' prayer before us before he goes. And verse 23 says, so I in them and you in me so they may be brought to complete unity. Every single day that you step into this house, every single day that you open the word, every single day that you, we, we have to realize that we're on a team, we're in an army, we're a part of, of God's people. And guess what? The, the enemy wants to, to, to sidetrack you, deceive you, and get you to, to lose the unity and get you to think that you're not part of the one. And the Lord Jesus is giving us his prayer, and he's saying, listen, this is what I want for you, that you may be one. Can I say something tonight? This is why the unbelieving world doesn't believe half the time what the church says, because in the church, we ourselves are divided. Amen. Amen. We're divided on the social issues. We're divided on, on, on how loud the music should be and how soft it should be and, and, and what we should wear to church and what we shouldn't wear to church and, and who was the first Baptist and who was the first assembly and who was the first Methodist. I don't know why everybody wants to be first. Makes me sick. The world sees already the division already amongst the body of Christ. And they know, and they go, ha, they don't even agree with themselves. They don't even know who's right to begin with. 1 Corinthians 1 to 10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you agree with one another in what you say, and that there may be no divisions amongst you, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Imagine with me just for a second. The church was united in mind and thought. Now this is concerning the church. Amen. This is not concerning how we handle the world. It's not concerning, you know, other issues that you face in life. This is concerning the church. This is saying that when this body of believers comes together, when when the saints of God come together, they are united in one heart, one mind. So that when they pray and they say, you know what, I feel like we need to start this ministry in the church, everybody's like, amen. I feel like when we we need to do this and we need to worship Jesus and we need to pray longer and everybody's like, amen. There's a unity of heart and mind, church. Philippians 2 and verse 1 says this, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If you have any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, Paul speaking, he says, then make my joy complete by being like minded. Having the same love, being one in the spirit and one of mind. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others in your relationships with one another. Have the same mindset of, as Christ Jesus. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You see, Satan does know when, who, how, and why God would choose to use you, but he also does know the word. Satan doesn't know the plan. He doesn't know, you know, what what God wants to do. He doesn't know all the, you know, if, ands, or buts about your life. But he does know one thing, and he knows the word, church. And even he knows what what Mark 33, verse uh, 25 says, If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand, and his end has come. This is why Satan is always attacking the church and he's throwing these fiery arrows at God's children so they can blame one another and they can target one another when all along his plan is fulfilled in destroying God's people. Are you following me tonight? But how many of you know, church, that we are victorious and we are empowered in Christ, amen? We have the authority that Jesus has given us to dispel every single argument that Satan would bring against us. Matthew 28 and 18 says, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That means that God has already given us the authority. He's already given us the answer to solve these problems. Amen. He's already given us the equipment, the empowerment, the weaponry that we need. Daniel 7 and verse 13. Daniel says this, in my vision at night, I looked and there was before me like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. And verse 14 says, He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power, and all nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Christ has all power over the schemes that Satan would bring against your life. Christ has all power over the attacks that the enemy would bring against your family. But listen, we cannot be duped any longer into fighting the wrong fight, church. We cannot be fooled into fighting the wrong enemy. What we need to fight for, again, is the church coming together to fight against one enemy for one cause, and that is to preach the gospel to the lost and the hurting and the broken so they can be freed from the wickedness and enslavement of the enemy over their life. That's why we need to come together, amen? Because when the church comes together, there is power. When two or three gather in his name, there he is. When two or three together pray, whatever they bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever they loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, church. And so I want to quickly give you a few keys to victory over the attacks of the enemy in your life. Now I'm speaking about a lot of unseen things that happen. And I'm, I'm, I'm literally exposing the enemy and his little weaving that he tries to do in the church all the time. I want us to understand this church. We need to understand this. This is, this is so important. Satan wants to weave himself into the fiber of the church so deceptively and so, you know, just, you know, falsely. And he wants to do this again so that he can get a chokehold on the church so the church doesn't fulfill what it was here for in the first place. We need to understand that we need to not lose sight over that. So I want to give you a few keys to victory. Number one is this. Spiritual battles are won in unseen battlegrounds. Spiritual battles are won in unseen battlegrounds. Matthew 6 and 6. But when you pray, amen? When you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen Then your father who sees what is done in the secret will reward you. That is your place of battle, church. The secret place is your place of battle. It's when you've spent time in his presence that you leave with his power. It's when you've gone into that place and you've said, Father, I am here, Lord. I bring, God, every circumstance, Lord, every issue, Father, God. I bring every petition before you, Lord, and I'll wait here, God, on you. I will wait for you, God. I will bring them before your throne room, Lord. And the word says, and the father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. That is your place of battle, church. That is your place of battle. Not whispering to somebody else and say, oh, they said this. You're fighting the wrong fight if you're involved in that stuff. When you step into his presence, you always leave with power. Amen? Amen. When you step into his presence, you always leave with power. The second thing is this, is put on the full armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, we know these verses. Verse 11 says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. Where? In the heavenly realms. Wait, where? In the heavenly realms. What does that mean? That means that actually Satan has access to heavenly places. That means that Satan can sit down in church right next to you. That means that the enemy can work in your life and in your ministry and through somebody that you know or trust. It's not like you come to church and all of a sudden there's, there's, there's you know, this, this force field around us and, and the enemy can't weave his way in here. No, he absolutely can. But Colossians 3 and verse 9 says this, gives us clear instruction. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Verse 10, and you've put on the new self. Everybody say the new self. Which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Verse 11, so here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Verse 12 says, so therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any one of you has a grievance against someone, he says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. You see church. If you're clothed with Christ. You cannot be mistaken for Satan. If you have put on the new self. And you are walking as Christ has called you to live. And you are, you are living as Christ has called you to live. And you are displaying and showing the world the love. And the kindness and the gentleness. And the humility that Christ is. And you have put on love. You cannot be mistaken for Satan. You cannot be all of a sudden the target of somebody because they think you're the enemy. A big deception of the enemy is when we see others as demonic instead of seeing the demon themselves. Jesus, the Bible tells us that he freed a lot of people from demon possession. How many of you have read that in your Bible? Amen. How many of you have read your Bible this week? (laughs) Amen. And Jesus, we see that as he went around healing people and he went around and he would see the demon-possessed people, he did not call the person that had the demon the demon. He called the demon inside the person the demon. Amen? And he would cast out that demon and that demon would release from that person and, and that individual would become free. They would be in their right mind again if they were, you know, some of them, the Bible says there was a young boy that would throw himself into the fire. He would gnash his teeth and he would literally come back to his right mind because guess what? He was no longer possessed by the enemy. We have a target, church. We have an aim. We have an enemy. And so, why is this a problem when we demonize people? Is because when we see people as the enemy, the love of Jesus goes out the window. And the grace and mercy of God that they so desperately need, it fails to exist because the gospel isn't offered as a hope and truth because we're fixated on what's wrong with them instead of who can make them right. This is why the church is not winning souls in this generation anymore because all we're doing is looking at what is wrong with the individual and we're not giving them the solution of who Jesus is. You'll never win somebody over that you think is, is, is the enemy. You'll never win them for Jesus if you don't love them like Jesus. If you don't tell them the truth of Jesus. If you don't show them what humility and gentleness and kindness looks like. I believe it's Matthew chapter 18. The Bible says that. There was one day when the, when the disciples, they were with Jesus, and all these little children come running to Jesus, and they tried, they tried to keep him at bay. And Jesus got really upset. He said, anyone who causes one of these little ones to stumble or to, or to be away from me, he said, it is better for them to tie a millstone around their neck and throw themselves into the depths of the sea. Did you know that Jesus loves the world still? Amen. Did you know that Jesus still loves the world, church? Amen. He still loves them. He still cares. He still sees the lost and the broken. And just like he wept over the city of Jerusalem, so I believe he's weeping over our nation and he's weeping over our city and he may even be weeping over the church because he says they've got it wrong. They're looking at the wrong enemy. and he's so desiring church that we understand that we need to put on Christ that we need to put on the full armor of God because yeah the enemy's going to attack 1 Peter 5:8 says that your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour it says to be alert to be sober-minded, amen? But listen, we understand, church, that we have the victory in Christ, so stop fighting the wrong enemy and start fighting the good fight. Tell somebody about Jesus. Put on love and put on the new self that's being renewed in the image of Jesus and put on the full armor so you won't fall into the enemy's traps, amen? And finally, this evening, the word, church, is your weapon, amen? The word is your weapon. Think about this just for a second. But did you forget that when God speaks, things form into existence? How powerful is God that he could just say it and it's done? That he could just simply speak the word and it is done. Have you forgotten? Think about this. What is written concerning your life? Have you overlooked the plan of God for your life? Have you mistaken what it is that God truly wants you to do in this world? I'm reminded of this this, testimony in in the book of Luke, in the book of all the Gospels. But the Bible says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert after fasting for 40 days. And guess who he encounters? He encounters Satan. Satan. Now, I have to say this because it's important for you to understand. Did you know that fasting isn't only a time to hear from God because Satan, too, will speak? Somebody say amen. amen. Sometimes we think, oh, man, I've been fasting for 40 days. That's it. You know, I'm like, Jesus, I'm walking on water by now. Listen, Satan's going to say something, too. He's going to stick his dirty little words in your ear, and he's going to say something in that moment. And he's going to try to trick somebody. He's going to try to trip you up. And so fasting isn't only a time to hear from God because Satan will try to say something as well. And just because your intent was to hear from God doesn't mean the enemy will not try to challenge what you've seen or heard from God. This is the way the enemy works. And so Luke 4 and verse 3, the Bible says, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written that man should not live on bread alone. Verse 5 says, Then the devil led him up to a high place, and he showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. He said, It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. Notice how crafty Satan is. He just said that he's got everything in the world. He just said that he's got all the authority. He just said that all this stuff that you see, it's mine. All the things that you see out there, it's mine. I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He said, if you are the son of God, he said, then throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels. This is the devil quoting scripture. He says, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully and they will lift you up in your hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 13, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. See, the most opportune time for the enemy is right after God does something powerful. Right after God speaks something into your life, right after God empowers you, right after God has, has spoken to your life, he's, he's, he's done something miraculous in your life is when the enemy comes in. Because when you're on that high and you're on that spiritual, you know, just, you know, you went from glory to glory and you're rejoicing in God, the enemy's going to try to trip you up with something so insignificant. He's going to try to put a little seed in your life to get something to destroy your life. He always works this way, church. He always tries to do something, and so the enemy comes to fill a heart with doubt. The enemy speaks his lies, but listen, how many of you saw what Jesus did? The scripture says that Jesus would only say what his father has said, and every time the enemy had made a false promise and proposal, Jesus said, it is written. The word is your weapon, church. I said, the word is your weapon, The next time the enemy comes against you, you need to start saying it is written. But listen, there's a lot of people that can't say it is written because if you haven't had a relationship with Jesus and you haven't read his word and you don't know him on a daily basis and you don't live for that daily bread, then listen, you don't know what's written. And Satan will catch you asleep. He'll catch you asleep and he'll get you to believe something and fall into deceit. And so guess what? Jesus, though, he knew the power of his father's words. He knew the power of his father's words that when he said, no, 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 Satan, it is written. Satan had to flee from the presence of Jesus. How many of you remember? I remember when I was a kid and I and that was like two, three years ago. But I remember when I was a kid. Whenever kids, you know, would get together, how many of you remember when kids start to, like, argue and fight, they bring their dad into it? Y'all remember that? Start fighting, you know, with some other kid, and, you know, you know you're, you're fighting about, you know, whose house is bigger, and, you know, who's this and that. And, you know, you'd, at some point, it would always get brought up, oh, yeah, well, oh, my dad could beat up your dad. You remember that? Was I the only guy that said that? Yeah. Man, I had confidence in my dad. I don't know if you knew this, but my, my dad was a golden glove boxer. Uh, he was like 23 and 0. He never lost a fight. So I had confidence in my dad. I used to have all his trophies on my windowsill. Like the guy actually knew how to, how to fist fight. But I would say, no, my dad could beat up your dad. Oh, yeah, well, my dad, you know, he makes more money. Oh, well, my dad is, makes even more money than your dad. And that's what kids used to do. They used to, you know, joke about their dad and they used to, you know, kind of glory in their dad. And I just wanted to remind somebody in here tonight that as a child of God, you can actually say to Satan, devil... I know you're the father of lies, but my father is the God of this universe, and he will not let me slip out of his grip. So get your wicked hands off my family. Get your wicked hands off my church. Get your wicked hands off my city. Get your wicked hands off my nation because it is written. It is written. 2 Corinthians verse 10 says this. Uh, chapter 10 verse 3 says this. But though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does, church. The weapons that we fight with, they are not weapons of the world. But on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Amen. Verse 5, he says, so we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ amen how many of you know that the word is power amen as I ask you to stand to your feet tonight I want us to pray and I want us to be reminded tonight I want us to be reminded tonight to fight the right fight amen to fight the good fight to know and to understand what Jesus has called us to and ultimately church that is to heaven amen But if we desire to see this God in heaven, if we desire to one day reside in heaven for an eternity, then we have to understand fully, church, that our mission and our time and our assignment in this earth is short. And we cannot miss the mark. We cannot get sidetracked by what somebody in the church has said. We cannot get sidetracked by the way somebody in church looked at us. We cannot get sidetracked by the way somebody in the church may have taught us. Listen, we need grace in the church again. Amen. We need the grace to forgive one another when somebody has offended us. And when we have offended somebody or somebody has offended us, we need to bring that offense before the Father and say, God, I ask for cleansing and purity on my life, Lord. That thing that I have done, that thing that I have said, God, that may have hurt my brother or sister in Christ, God. Lord, I need their forgiveness, God. I need to be reconciled with you, Father, so that you can use me, God, so that you can flow through my life, Lord. That grievance, God, that I might be holding somebody in, God, we, I think, God, that I'm right. But listen, God's not even looking at that as the matter. God's saying, are you right with me? Are you holding on to something that, that you're imprisoning somebody else in, in your mind? You're imprisoning them in your heart because you think they've hurt you and they've offended you. Listen, it's time to let that thing go. Because he said, listen, if you want my forgiveness, if you want to be right with me, then you need to forgive others. I'll never forget the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, how many times should we forgive them? He said, 70 times seven. That's a lot of times. What was the point? He said, every time. It was every time. Every single time. I meet so many people, church, in this world, that literally define God and don't believe God and turn from God because somebody in the church heard them. Because somebody in the church said something. Because somebody in the church didn't live like Jesus. I don't want that on my life. I don't want to stand before the Father one day and, and the Lord look at me and say, you, you were the issue. You were the wall. You you kept people from me. You didn't lead people to me. And I pray for your life as well, church, that you don't want that on your life. Say, Father, I want to be the reason that somebody comes to Jesus. I want to be the reason, Lord, that somebody wants to know you. That when they see my life, when they see my living When they see how I walk in this world, Lord, when they see, Lord, me, you go out of my way, God, to help somebody, to bless somebody, God, to love somebody with your love, Lord, that they would see you, Lord, that they would see you, Jesus. How many of you want to live like that? Amen.